0: Okay, so what we want to do tonight, uh, this is the first of a, of a three-part series on abortion. Um, I want to talk about one thing that we're not going to say tonight and one thing that we are, each of which may be surprising. The thing we're not going to say tonight or discuss tonight is what the halacha of abortion should be. The entire conversation is going to take place without any opinion about what the outcome should be. The only question I'm discussing for tonight is whether it's possible to emerge with the difference between Jews and non-Jews. Okay, that's an hour. Right. Next week we'll talk about, um, I think I call it trimesters, viability and other arbitrary lines in the sand. Then we'll see like where they come from in halakha. And in the third, in the third week we'll talk about uh, how we choose among options in the society we find ourselves if halakha in fact has many options along that scale of viability and then play that out with Jews and non-Jews as well. The second thing is, that I very consciously titled it, Can the Ethics of Abortion Be Different for Jews and Non-Jews? And that is working on a premise that you can make a distinction between ethics and halakha within halakhic Judaism. So we'll have to figure out right, how we defend that and, on what, and, right, and what the basis is. Right? What is the difference between ethics and halakha for, Jews and, um, for, uh, for halakhic Jews? Okay, so I want to take those, t- those things up front. Neither of them are obvious. Um, right? So n- anything I state about what the halakha is tonight is irrelevant because I'm just, the only question that matters is right, is whether it can be different for Jews and non Jews. And in the course of the sheer, we're going to have to make a distinction between halakha and ethics and see if we can sustain it. Okay, so I gave you to start with two Gemaras. The first Gemara has a rather esoteric case. Um, which rests on the presumption that there is a shared prohibition called Avermin Hachai, eating flesh from live animals among Jews and non-Jews. But the definition of life is different for Jews and non-Jews. For non-Jews, life has, has a pragmatic definition, whatever you think life is right, whatever you think life is over, the animal is dead, and until then the animal is alive. There's no formal status of life and death, it's pragmatic. But for Jews, for animals, um, the, the relevant characteristic is: Has this animal been shechted or not? If the animal has been shechted, then it is no longer even if the animal is, you know, doing whatever the animal does, you know, as a as a as a live animal being conscious, being conscious, doing the New York Times crossword puzzle, whatever, right, wagging its tail, whatever you think animals do. This animal is still doing them, but it's been shechted. Okay, there's a you know a classic outcome case of this, which is what happens if a pregnant animal is shechted, and right, so right, so what about the the a full term a full term uh, animal within it may be considered to be born shechted, even though it's alive. It's called a ben pekuah. Okay, so now because of this, because there is a difference between the definition of death for Jews and non-Jews, you can construct a case, where in princ- where uh, it seems that there should be an animal which is kosher for Jews and not for non-Jews, which is to say, an animal where an, uh, an animal where an organ became treif at some point, right? At some point after, after right after after shkita. So for a Jew, the animal right. Where, right so right, the animal right. So the, there, there's a way to construct that case. It doesn't matter to us what the details of it are. All that matters to us is a way to construct that case. So now the Gemara says. Uh, right, so somebody constructed that case, That Acha Bar Yaakov constructed that case, right? He, he said that the way, the way Rish Lakish set up that case, it can turn out that there is an animal whereby you can invite Jews to eat this animal and you can't invite non-Jews. And um, Rav Papas says, I was sitting in front of Rav Bar Yaakov and I was going to say to him, what? Is there really any kind of animal that is permitted to Jews and forbidden to non-Jews? And then I realized, oh, yeah, because he gave a reason. Okay, right, so that's right. So now, you learn two things from this gemara. On the one hand, right, there is a reasonable presumption that the halacha should not be more lenient for Jews than non-Jews. An outcome like this shouldn't be possible. But if you give a really good explanation, it works. So now there are two ways of doing that. When I, I biased you by saying a really good explanation. Maybe you don't need a really good explanation. Maybe all you need is an excuse. All right, so that's what I want, I, what I, first thing I want to test is, do we have a very strong premise not irrebuttable, but a strong premise that the halakha should not yield leniency for Jews relative to non-Jews? Or do we just have a formal requirement if you're going to make a difference, you have to, right, you have to give an, an excuse? So I gave you another gemara, which is dealing with the question... Yes, Mitch? Uh, do I remember... Scooters. Non-Jews can't use scooters. Sorry. Non-Jews can't use scooters on Chavez. That's <laughs>
1: Non-Jewish people to do it because you know, the Jews have all kinds of other mitzvahs, so That's how, how, right.
0: How That's our question, and the answer is you can. Right, it's possible to come out that way, but you need a reason. Now so the question is, how serious a reason do you need? Do you need? So the the way I have of testing it is when some there, there are certain kinds of questions in the Talmud. Whenever somebody asks them, you only ask them in order to get the answer. And sometimes they're questions, that when you ask them, people change their mind. So I gave you a second Gemara where a similar kind of question comes up. Right? It's talking. It's talking about the question of whether uh, we you know what used to be called unnatural sex is permitted. And somebody comes up with a uh, somebody comes up with the idea that maybe uh, may, maybe for non-Jews it's a capital crime to have quote, right, to to, you know, to have oral or, or anal sex, and the Gemara says, hang on a sec, but it's permitted for Jews. Is there really something which non-Jews are liable for and Jews can do with the government changes? It's mind? nope, can't be. Can't be prohibited. There can't be something that is permitted for Jews and prohibited for, and prohibited for non-Jews. Asking that question is sufficient to change the, right, to change the prior halachic position. If your halachic reasoning yields the outcome that there is something permitted to Jews but prohibited to non-Jews, or at least it's something that Jews are liable, that Jews are not liable for and Gentiles are liable for, that means that your halakha is wrong. So the outcome is that we have a serious bias towards saying the halakha can't be more lenient, be more lenient for Jews than non-Jews. Yes, Amy? Where does the that fit like
2: Because you're not allowed to have non-Jews eat it. Jews can eat it, but non-Jews can't eat okay, it. Okay,
0: right, that's a great question, right? That's a great question. And we have, right, it's a whole cottage industry, right? If you want to, you know, try to come up with all the cases that are exceptions to this this principle, right? That's the whole, and what I think you'll emerge, I'm going to set up as a hypothetical. We don't have, you know, we don't have the capacity to prove it tonight, but you can go through Shas after we're done and write and check, is that the results will be that when there is some kind of ritual Jewish obligation that has some kind of quirky outcome, then you can have that result. Right? It doesn't emerge, right? So Jews have a requirement of and that yields a, quite re- or that yields a quirky outcome. Jews have a requirement of that yields a quirky outcome, right? But, not, but intrinsically, you don't do it that way. Okay, that's the, right? that's the claim I want to set up as an outset. Are we saying this, yeah. this, this, this uh,
1: principle of it, it has to be something that's um, this hierarchy is, is it a matter of, of halakha, or is it a matter of philosophy or a, what, what, what is what, so when
0: you say that you know it shouldn't be something that you know, So what I've tried to show you is a, is a conversation that takes place within halachic discourse. Right? Is this the right somebody says this is halacha, and somebody else says how could that be the halacha? So it's not philosophy at the of
1: the way. Right? I mean
0: it's yeah.
1: no there's no I mean
0: there's no halacha saying that, you know, that Right, there's no there right there's no there's no Rule saying that it's forbidden to make the right? You know, there's no meta-rule that way, right? Uh, right? You know, so we, whatever you want to call, uh, but there's there's a book outside, you know, which talks about, you know, which is titled Subtitled Exploration of the Halachic System and Its Values. Right? So this would fit in reasonably well to that book. It's chapter six, I think, actually. But <laughs> uh part, part of this is from chapter six. Um, yeah, no, absolutely right, right? So that's that's where you're starting to see the border between halacha and ethics. Right. So you're calling meta-halacha ethics in this sense. Okay. So now, right now that we have a um, we have a principle that we have a, a bias, a presumption that halacha cannot be more lenient for Jews than for non-Jews. Now we can move to the question of abortion. So the question, right? So we have a pasuk, the pasuk uh, which you can puncture every, you know, in many ways. Says dam. We're on page two. adam adam or adam adam And there are two ways. There are two ways of puncturing that matters to the Gemara. The underlying principle is that the second ba'adam is unnecessary. They could just say, right, who sheds the blood of a human being, his blood shall be shed. Shufeh, <speaking> right, adam, So from a poetic standpoint, it's not right, it balances better if you say adam <speaking> Baadam But from an efficiency standpoint, the se- the, the word ba'adam adds nothing. So the Gemara records the machloket. Between Rabbi Yishmael and an unnamed uh, Tanakama, as to what the what we're supposed to do with an extra word ba'Adam. The, um, the Tanakama reads it towards the end of the verse. Says ba'Adam de means that right. The whole verse means whoever sheds the blood of human being shall have the blood of human being shed within. Shall have the blood of human being shed within, or his blood shall be shed within him. And so the Gemara says, okay, that means strangulation, which right where we break the we break the neck and therefore there's internal bleeding. So it teaches us the mode of execution for homicide. Rabbi Ishmael famously says, no, it's whoever sheds the blood of a human being within a human being, his blood shall be shed. And what does that mean? That means the fetus. Okay, that's the, right, that's the, that's the, the, and now this verse is a verse in Genesis. It takes, right, it's given before, uh, right, before Sinai. And the presumption here, although the exegetical rules as to how you play with things before and after Sinai in the Torah are complicated and often counterintuitive, for our purposes the result of those rules is going to be that this verse applies to Gentiles and not necessarily to Jews. So we have a verse which says that the killing of the 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 spilling of the blood of a fetus is a capital crime. For, right, is a capital crime for non-Jews. Shafeiq dam adam adam, the one who shed, right, the one who sheds the blood of a human being, within human being, his blood shall be shed. We, it's not a consensus position, because the Tanakhama reads the verse differently. We could expand it and say that there's another Gemara and Sanhedrin which uses the same verse in reference to Jews. As, right, as one of the sources for the notion that you can kill somebody who is trying, trying to kill you. Or you have an obligation to try to kill somebody who is trying to kill somebody else. But at least you have a position of Rabbi Ishmael which says, that we derive from here, the, right, right, that for a noachide, for a gentile, whatever term you want to use, to kill a human being with a human being is um, a capital crime. So now our question is, yes, right. So I didn't say courts. I'd say that the halacha has a category called the shavu mitzvot b'nei Noach, under which it presu- right under which it you know makes statements about what the Torah says. Right? How that how that extends to practical jurisdiction is a, right is a more is a different is a different issue. Right, that's part of what we're going to try and talk about tonight. But there's a verse. The verse is a t- right, there's a category called the Sheva Mitzvot Noach. The Sheva Mitzvot the seven Noachite commandments, or eight, or 31, or whatever whatever number you pick from the various positions in the Talmud, uh, right, are defined legally, and for now we'll work on the premise that each of them is, theor- each of them is in principle capital crime. Okay. So now the question... So
1: it doesn't
0: matter if the the, uh- <sighs> Very good. Very good. So let's, right, so the question I'm asking is, so now we know, right now we have two options as to what the halacha is about abortion for non-Jews, without defining what, a, what constitutes abortion. Killing. There, is, there are two options as to whether killing a human being with a, a human being is homicide for non-Jews. According to Rabbi Ishmael, it is. According to the Tanakhama, presumably it's not. And my question is, do we assume that if Rabbi Ishmael says this about non-Jews, then the law must be the same for Jews because you can't say something is, right, is forbidden to non-Jews but permitted to Jews. Okay, right. yeah. It doesn't say forbidden or non say what's the punishment. We generally, generally assume, that we could have lots of fun breaking that up, but we generally assume that we only execute people for crimes. <laughs> okay, now, I have a famous article about a possible exception to that, uh, but, Let's assume that we generally say anything you can execute somebody for that must mean that. Right? As, I'll I'll give it to you formally. Right? In in exegesis about Jews, we have a principle called "Ein Elim here, which means that any 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 do not in the Torah about Jews has to occur twice. There has to be one statement, "Don't do this," and another statement which says, "If you do this, there will be a punishment." And you can't punish them. You can't give capital at least a capital crime unless it has that. But for non-Jews, the Gemara says. Um, as haratan hi mitatan the the do not statement is equivalent to a, to to a uh, an authorization of execution oh but it could be that it's still not permitted to Jew, but it's just not capable it's not a capable so you'll note that right that, that the when i when I, we talked about the when uh, we talked about the um, the law for right for unnatural sex the line was is there anything for for which non-jews are liable for which jews are not liable that seem, right. The question there seemed to be there can't even be a difference in punishment. But even so, okay, right? If you want to say that, I am not in the context of this sheer, I am not trying to address the question yet, at least, of whether punishments can be distinct. I'm only interested in the question of whether something can be forbidden to one, to, forbidden to non Jews, and yet permitted to choose. You have I mean, the nature
2: of the. So if you say a dumb, but a dumb, if it's defined that it's a person inside a person, then, yeah, that's murder if you kill it. If you say, however, a fetus is not a person, then you're no longer talking about murder because it, if it's that, but we were talking about the instance of, you know, when you have, the, it says that when you have the two men fighting and... Um, yeah, so let's, let's bracket that. We'll the talk about... That's not. That's not what, killing a person. Whatever
0: it is, according to Rabbi Ishmael, it's enough to violate the prohibition of bloodshedding. It's in the verse, and it gets capital of crime. So I don't care for now, right? Whether it's a person or not. Rabbi, tell you had a question a long time ago. I had
2: so many questions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, yeah. No,
2: I. I, I that
1: doesn't quite resolve it because it's Adam, but Adam. Yeah. You haven't decided whether it's an Adam. That's right. Who, right. So, yeah, it's not So,
0: so next week out. we can talk it's about at some point, I right, would say it's like minimally, at, according to Rabbi Ishmael, there is some point at which the fetus has not wholly emerged at which it is called an Adam. Because right? he says, adam bea, bea, who is the person within a person whom he reads the verses referring to? Is that, Uber this is a fetus in his mother's innards. Right? Now what stage that is, Right. that's all next week. Right, you know, Tribesters, viability, right? Crowning, uh, right? Crowning, complete emergence, right? We can, you know, come up with endless, endless numbers of things. What happens with the cesarean section, right? All, right? All, all, all sorts of uh, issues. But for now, we again. I don't, I don't want to talk about what the is. I just want to talk about whether it can be different for Jews and non-Jews. Whatever the halakha is for non-Jews, will be derived from this verse. Right? And then the question is, can I figure out? Oh, the halakha for Jews can't be any more lenient than that, or not? Right. That's
2: what the verses referring to?
0: Then, can kill not No, because it's, 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 right, it has double meaning. One is Shabhech Dam Hadam, and the second is Shabhech Dam Hadam Hadam. It has two meanings. Okay. All right, right, that's a, We thought, right, the Midrashkin and chat can be very good, right? You're right, but no. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, um, okay. So, now here's, here's the way I want to formulate the argument we saw that in fact there can be differences as long as you can as long as you came up with the reason so the question is what sort of reason would you have to come up with to right to defeat the presumption that the law cannot be different for Jews and right for Jews and non-Jews right what kind of argument would be acceptable for saying you're right, yeah, okay, right. There's a presumption, but in this case, abortion is right. Abortion is permitted for Jews and not for non-Jews because X. So what I want to argue is that here we have a verse which gives the rationale. The rationale is kibitzelam elokim That's a really powerful rationale, right? This is prohibited lo So it seems to me there's a very high bar for claiming that you're going to make distinctions within something for which the standard is kibitzahel melekim asah uh, etadam. As Rivetel pointed out, we could really make the distinction in four different ways. We can talk about the uh, we can talk about um, a person for whom the abortion is happening, let's say to save a life or whatever it may be, right, or to get organs, whatever it may be. We can talk about the identity of the fetus, Jewish or non-Jewish. We can talk about the identity um, of the mother, and there's a fourth possibility I'm missing. The doctor. And the doctor, thank you. Right, doctor is right. The doctor, right. So fetus, mother, fetus, mother, doctor, beneficiary, right? and right. We have to ask the question, perhaps on all four of those axes, can we make a difference between uh, between between Jews and non-Jews? Even though the only precedent I brought was about the right would be about the doctor, perhaps. Okay, so I wanted, right. So I want. So I wanted to um, to set that out, right. That the the right way to think about the first stage of the question. Is right? Do we think that it is acceptable that it's an acceptable outcome for the halakha to be different? Okay. Now I'm going to try and move us one step. Um, right? You have to ask the end break right, because if that's the case, it is not acceptable. So then all sorts of answers are impossible, and all sorts of answers will change. Right? So you have to- I think you should ask that question first. Second stage. Okay. So I gave you on page. Yes.
1: Are we assuming that we pass them like every each against the
0: tonic No. Whichever way it is, it just can't be more lenient, right? Okay. It could be that your outcome will be, well, I know it's permitted for Jews, and it can't be more lenient for Jews than non-Jews, therefore it must be permitted for non-Jews too. right? That would, within this framework, that's an acceptable argument. Isn't
1: it a common yeah. way to flip the notion of the polarity of the leniency? Somehow you find a way to say, you know, this is the call, this is the homer, this is the homework, this is the call. and Then you can...
0: Get around. We we will we may do something like that at the end, but that's not so easy here, I think, okay. right? We may do one little bit of it. Yes.
1: Why is that such a difficult premise? I mean, the Gemara is full of distinctions. This is okay for Group A. This is okay for Group B. Why is it? Why is to say that there's a distinction between what is allowed for Jews or non-Jews is so troubling? I mean, you know, to our modern sensitivity, when you read Gemara it's very clear that they had, you know, classes and groups, and we're better than them. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to, like, you know, to, to try and project our uh, sort of 21st century sensitivities into the 5th century here. I'm just saying it exists, and it's rampant throughout the Gemara.
0: So that obviously, you know, is a really big question. Um, what I'll answer is there's a category I like to introduce often, which is called the reverse anachronism. I didn't share today. Uh, right where, right anachronism is where something shows you you right, you, you think something existed in the past because it exists now but it really didn't. And reverse anachronism is when you think something didn't exist in the past now, in the past, but even or even though we have it now. Um, some of these moral issues suffer from reverse anachronism. That we think that right, we think that we invented this kind of sensibility. Um, so I'm gonna try to argue no. Right now, it may be that right that we emphasize it in ways, and maybe there are implications, and we'll talk about why that is, but what I've tried to show you is there are, the Gemara asks this question. Right? And it takes it as a real question that's sufficient to change people's minds. How can there be something which is, right, which is more lenient for Jews than non-Jews? And that's part of the Gemara too. Right? So, right, so you, have to, you have to at least deal with it. right? To, the Gemara doesn't take it as a given. Well, what's the problem? Right? There's a difference. No. Right? So Gamera says that, how could that be, right? So that's, right, and it takes it as a good question. So now, so now we have to figure out how we balance. Sometimes Gamera cares, sometimes it doesn't. So I gave one possible model that depends on whether it comes from, technically from additional obligations or not, right? That's one possible distinction among them. But it's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't take it as a given that we're imposing modern sensibilities that way. Uh, right? In the same way, you know, I, I wrote a piece some years ago about, you know, that um, I think that, you know, that we need, I, I used the word meme. People thought that was, a, it was it's an old, it's an absolute use of the word meme, but that there are just certain vorts that we should teach all modern Orthodox kids, right? so that their ideology of these issues come out of text. Like, so one of them, obviously, is my, my, the, the, the works of my hands are drowning in the sea. Right? That's a moment. Right? That's a moment which creates a really, a really strong ideological principle about the value of lies of non-Jews. And you can quote about other things that may seem to give you other sensibilities, but that's there, and you have to account for it. OK, yes, Mitch? could be for choose and for choose I mean, Yeah. That's that, going could, that could be it. Yeah. Right, I'm not making an egalitarian thing. I'm not, right. I'm just arguing, the argument, it's a one-way argument. It's a one-way argument so far. Right? Yeah, I, absolutely. Okay, but now we're going to, now I'm going to try and make the argument the other way. <laughs> sorry, okay, yes, yeah, sorry. I
3: guess maybe I'm not following you, but are, are you making the claim that, um, that, that, that according to Rabbi Shmuel, that if it's, if a, if killing a fetus is a capital crime for a non-Jew, that it must be
0: at least a crime for Jews, and possibly it must be a capital crime.
3: So you gave a counter argument to that, right? Which is to say, meaning from the Gemara on the first for the, the first page, we had there can where there's a halachic reason, there can be right. You have to come up with it, though. Right. I, so, but you said there.
0: I haven't said one about abortion yet. I don't know, right, I, and I said that abortion. It has to be an argument that is sufficient to overcome. Which I think is a very high standard. Right, to claim that something is something could be but isn't for Jews, even though adam. Right, that seems to me like a very high, bar, a very high barrier to meet. Okay. There are four verses in the Torah. I'm going to have to go a little bit faster than we've been going so far. I apologize, but this is—I have to say—I've missed this. I've missed this enormously having this community show up and ask these kinds of questions. So, by all means, this is beautiful. Um, and if I have to, you know, take start the, the second session a little earlier, that's okay. A little, a little, you know, a little bit um, earlier in the argument, that's fine. So, on page three, I gave you a series of verses, all of which um, make the claim that. You cannot distinguish the law among citizens. These are all it, these are all yeah, straight straight verses from the Torah Torah, Yelo right, Yeah, there be, right, there can't be distinctions between uh, right among citizens in a Torah polity. And specifically there can't be differences between Gerim and Ezrachim. Now this is a problem because all of you know that despite the, right, we also have 36 commands against discriminating against converts, and yet converts can't marry Kohanim, right? Right? So right? So, I'm not going to attempt uh, to resolve this, right? I think some of you make big claims later you know, when I, I leave. The first chapter of my book talks about freedom, and so you know, students, everyone else says, what about slavery, right? So that's a great question, but, you know, it's only one chapter. I uh, only had 1,500 words. You can't answer all the questions. There's a, but there, right, there are four verses that say that, right, roughly that the law right, that the law has to apply equally to everybody. Not only that, if you take a look at um, page four, you'll see that now here we are in the 20th century. Um, but I think we're you know we're not dealing with figures who are right, who are noteworthy for their extreme liberal tendencies. Uh, you have Rabbi Ephraim Regensburg of Chicago. Uh, by Fry Fischl Weinberger of Tel Aviv, not such a famous figure, but you can look them up on Wikipedia and see what you think about them, whether you think I'm cherry-picking liberals. Um, that, uh, who take this as a principle for, as a basis for the principle Dina de Malchut de Dina. Dina de Malchut is the, we're gonna take it for the purposes of this year as the principle which gives effectiveness to the law of the land and that, right, so they both say that these verses establish a principle that halakhically, the law of the land is not binding if it violates equal protection.
3: Dina de Dina, generally, as applied to Jews, I thought, is talking about dina Mamanu. So are they only here applying to dina Mamanu for non-Jews in
0: halakha? So it's a really interesting question. It's a really interesting question. Um, and here, I want to try and introduce a distinction which I think has really not been sufficiently considered in the public orthodox conversation about the aftermath of Roe v. Wade. There are three separate questions. One question is, what, is the, what are the right and wrong things to do? The second is, what are the things that should and should not be illegal? And the third is what are the things that what are the things that should and should not be constitutional. In general, the conversation about what should be legal, and what should be constitutional in orthodoxy, have been subsumed into two kinds of pragmatic questions: what is the legal regime that is likely to most that is most likely to approximate the result on this narrow issue that we want, right, will lead to the, few, the, the fewest number of illegal, of illegal abortions, and the, or halakhically right, illegal abortions, and the maximum number of halakhically mandated abortions. And then, an, right, that's basically, right, then we have to figure out, like, how do we balance, right, that there are five abortions that won't happen, which must happen against, you know, 500,000 abortions that, right, that will happen, that aren't supposed to happen, and that's how the calculation takes place. All right? which is, I'm trying to argue that's not the right question. The question of what the law should be might, right, might not be the same question as to what the outcome should be, and the question as to what the Constitution should be might be a third question entirely. That's been missing in the American political discourse generally, but specifically in the Orthodox discourse. So one of the things I want to try to argue in this shir is that, the, that Halakha considers the question of what the law should be separately from the question of what the outcome should be, and possibly considers the question of what the Constitution should be Separately from the question of what the law should be and that there are Jewish ways of approaching each of these questions. So a um, so part of right So, I want, right, so the um, The notion this was actually uh, SBM two years ago, right? was how far do we go in halacha in evaluating the, um, the value of creating a society which fulfills equal protection as right as part of a halachic value in a secular government we were dealing uh, particularly there with, you know, what happens if you have a, an immigration law that is, un, that, is, that is enforced unfairly against specific ethnic groups, All right? So that's a right? And it might be that the question of whether, whether we think that the best outcome is X number, of immigra- X number of immigrants is a different question than the question of whether the law, right, is, right, might be the law that is best suited to gain that goal is nonetheless a violation of equal protection. Right, so i want to right so I, right so I want to set out that they um obviously right so right this relates to Arya's question so if we think of this with regard to not just right with regard to the question of how dina malchus is a model of how a society should structure itself right what is the authority of law in a society now Jews always have an issue—an issue of extraterritoriality—in some cases, right? That we're subject to a separate legal system, and then we have to negotiate jurisdiction, which is how halacha engages with din al malchus versus Torah. But now we're dealing with, from the perspective, of how should the society establish its principles? So the, the basis is that the society that a that a society has to establish a principle of equal protection—a society which says that well, Jews can can or must perform these abortions. But, non-Jews, but for non-Jews the same action is criminal, cannot possibly satisfy that criteria. So when you ask the question of, right not, not asking the question now of what the halakha is, ask the question of what the halakha allows the law to be. And the answer is it may be that a law which acknowledges distinctions between Jews and non-Jews on, a, right, on an issue of straight, Right, straight interpersonal criminality is halachically illegitimate as law because it doesn't meet the right. And even though it might be possible to emerge on internal halachic calculus, right, with an outcome which says that there's no Jews and non-Jews as we do in terms of kashrut, because it doesn't matter. We're not enforcing it. So it might be that there it's okay for us to yield a result which raises right, because okay, right. Jews and non-Jews, the legal system functions differently, and that's okay because we're living in different worlds when it comes to kashrut. But when it comes to the criminal law of a society, maybe you can't do that. Maybe your principle has to be Torah I said that's one argument I want to make in terms of the law. It might be that, that thinking about what the law of abortion has to be in a society does not permit outcomes that are different between Jews that are different between Jews and non-Jews, even if you could imagine a halakha, which was, and that begs the question of what the relationship between halakha and law um, and ethics ought to be. Okay, so I brought in there are two other points I have to make. Um, there were many many other points you have to make, so I'm not going to try to I'll try and choose. Sorry, I shouldn't have those self-conscious moments. Um, Another argument I wanted to make, and I'm going to make this very rapidly, is that uh, Rav Asher Weiss, uh, some may know, is one of the, the great Haredi scheme of our day, but one who has become a crossover figure because uh, he's very popular in Mono-Orthodoxy, even though he's a Haredi post, uh, a really spectacular posting. So he argues that um, fundamentally the basis, um, the, basis right, the basis for all the, um, all of halakha is consent. Right? All 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 governmental authority in halakha is consent of the governed. Uh, right? He thinks all the theories of all the theories of, of government of governmental authority that um, that, uh, that 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 there are in halakha eventually break down to consent of the uh, to consent to consent of the governed. Uh, but he says, look, there were two theories once upon a time. One theory was consent of the governed. One theory was the king owns everything. But modern, modern legal theories, he says the king doesn't know anything, so we'd have no law if we used a principle other than consent of the governed. So halakha has to acknowledge consent of the governed as the basis for government in our day. So consent of the governed is a really tricky notion. Uh, consent of the governed is built on a notion of social contract. We don't revote every day. Social contracts are embodied... Uh, sometimes in unwritten principles and sometimes in a written document which we call a constitution so right so it's a fair question according to Ray Weiss in halakha to ask yourself is this law being constructed in a way that meet, right that meets the, that meets the criteria of the consent of the governed and if you think that a right that people are taking power in a way which is not legitimately a function of the consent of the government, meaning that you are distorting the Constitution, then it could be that you are denying that government authority halachically. Right? So, right? so those are ways in which I can Judaize, right? Ju- Judaize the constitutional question and the legal question without deciding what it should be. Okay, I have two other um, two other. Uh, things to point out, and then uh, we'll have to go. We'll have to go, and we'll. Um, as always, I'm more than happy to t- entertain questions by email, or write, or set up a time to talk, um, or just you know get me on the way out of show whatever it may be. Um, so there, there is a difference which um, between ethics. And um, an ethical argument, I gave you an argument from Professor Noam Zora that I, I think is a really useful introduction to medical ethics generally, where he talks about the definition of ethics is an argument, ethical arguments have to be arguments that apply to everyone equally and that everyone could realize on their own. So an argument from Revelation, an argument of that God just told me this, is not an ethical argument. It might be an argument about right and wrong. That's what God told me to do. But it's not an ethical argument. So I think a fair question is whether when you engage in a conversation that goes, acro- right, that you, your whole goal is to create a polity that crosses agreed boundaries of revelation, that, the, right, that, the, that you, have to, you have to end up with policies that are defensible on the grounds of ethics, because otherwise you don't have a community. Otherwise you're just engaged in a power play, and there we go back to consent to the governed. I want to say there's a possibility that even if you believe that there is a technical argument for a distinction, that you can't introduce it into a legal conversation because it doesn't, right, it's not a legitimate aspect of that conversation. We'll return to that in the third week. Okay, I wanted to read you one, um, one, more, uh, one more piece, and then um, we'll break. This is from Rabbi Leeser uh, some of you may have heard of Rabbi Melamed. He is the rabbi of a moshav called Har Bracha. Uh, in Israel, shivat Har Bracha, he has a best-selling uh, series of halacha books called Pnini Halacha, uh, which happens to be translated by Eli Fisher. If those of you who were in my, uh, my drash on Shabbat will know the next line. Right, Eli Fisher is, of course, a... <laughs> Sorry, <baby drush. laughs> uh, so Rabbi Melamed. Rabbi Melamed uh, has been controversial in recent years. There's been, there's been some attacks on his Nida books. Uh, he would, you know, he would qualify. I think generally as what we would call, um, you know, in Many ways, right? You know, he's a right. He's he's right. He's a um, you know, he's, he's a right wing religious Zionist. Um, although you know he's developed interesting positions, but he's not he's not coming out of uh, out of an American certainly not coming out of an American liberal sensibility. So I want to read to you what um, his Ptine halachas theory says about uh, says about abortion. Um, this is this is my translation of the Hebrew, though not Eli Fisher's, so don't blame, right? so don't blame Eli for the. I, I didn't the English. I, I, I think he does have it online now, but I I, did, I forgot to look. To look there. But he says this: the capital punishments mentioned in the Torah, whether for Jews or Noahides, are primarily intended to deter and to point to the severity of the sin, and that it will be punished in this and the next world, but not so that executions will become common. Right, he says like it's well known that the Torah imposes lots and lots of uh, capital, right, executable crimes for Jews, and yet the rabbis say that, if, that a Sanhedrin which kills one more than once every seven or 70 years right, is, is bloodthirsty. And the question is how we relate that to the, you know, the broad statement that all punishment, that all crimes attributed by halakha to non-Jews are capital crimes. And he says it's the same thing. It's not, right, it's not that you're intended to carry them out. Right, saying that a crime is capital is a statement of its severity, it's an attempt at deterrence, but it doesn't mean that there's a mitzvah to go around killing all the people who violate the halacha. No, di- right, And he says it, that is not different for Jews than non-Jews. Now he says, it seems that the Torah was more stringent on noachai than on Jews with regard to killing fetuses, because among the nations, there are those that tend to diminish the value of human life, to the point is some of them are suspected of blood spilling, right? So quoting Gamara's, right? You know, that they some you know, that in some societies you're not allowed to um, get a sh- get a shave from a non Jewish barber unless there's a mirror, because you're afraid that they're gonna slit your throat. Um, right? I'm Sorry if I ruined some, if some of you go shaving, it'll be terrifying now. Uh, but in case you think it ever happens, it does happen in Billy Bathgate by Il Doctoro. But the barber who commits the murder is Jewish. <laughs> it's That's it's Dutch yes, yeah, right. It's also Dutch Schultz, who's Arthur Fliegenheimer. Uh, who tricks his mob rivals into, uh, into, right? You know, he finds out where they get their shaves and he ties up the barber. In <laughs> okay, any case, right? I, I don't get shaves and barber shaves with razors. I don't recommend it to anyone else, even with a mirror, um, aside for the halachic issues. Um, but, um, right, he says, so, right, talacha is often suspicious, right? It's afraid that if that, um, that in given societies, non-Jews will end up murdering, and so call the Khamer they might end up committing abortions that are unjustified. So as to place in front of them a serious fence, the Torah decreed that one can decree execution even on one who kills the fetus. So it's a rhetorical statement. And the reason that if you end up with the halachic result that non-Jews are liable for execution for abortion and Jews are not, he said the reason for that is because the Torah felt the need to create an additional rhetorical fence. Not that the Torah intended to draw a difference about the actual severity of the offense and it seems that with regard to the permission to abort in a case of serious illness or life of the mother which is where people often right uh, other yearram will begin from a premise that there's a difference between Jews and non-jews on that on that ish, on that issue the law with regard to Jews and noahides is equal and in every case where it is, where it is permitted for a Jew to abort it is also permitted to a noahide now, how did Rabbi Muhammad get to that re- get to that result? He got to that result, I submit to you, the way I did. Right? He said, "Look, we, right, we have a premise that halakha can't be different between Jews and non-Jews unless you have a good explanation. In the right, in the face of what seems to be a, a powerful ethical demand for equality, the only right the response has to be the response that makes a distinction has to be of equal weight." Nobody has constructed an argument of equal weight and therefore the halacha has to be the outcome. Right? Notice he doesn't tell you what the halacha is. He just tells you that, right, in what, right, so it tells you he's not engaging in the argument on a case-by-case level. right? His outcome is, in every case where it is permitted for a Jew to abort, it is also permitted for a Gentile to abort, to abort because it can't be more lenient for Jews than non-Jews. Well, oh,
3: except that he's, he doesn't He's not opposed to the possibility that in the cases where it's not permitted that the technical punishments be very different.
0: That's correct. but he doesn't think that but he thinks that the punishments are unrelated to the severity of the crime in either case we're not interested in carrying them out. But that's not right it's, punishment is not an issue in the American context for us right now, right right that's not right The question is, you can start the conversation halakhically by presuming, as many articles will, that there is a difference between Jews and non-Jews, and now we have to figure out what do we do on policy when we have different interests for Jews and non-Jews. Or you can start the conversation by saying, no, right? whatever we do, it's going to have to be the same for Jews and non-Jews. So what I'm arguing is there are three different levels on which you can reach that result. One level is you can reach that result within the halakha, which I think is what Rav does, that within the halakha you're wrong if you reach a result that permits abortions for Jews that are forbidden that are forbidden to Gentiles. You can say that even if you can reach that decision in the halakha, you can't make that the law because it violates equal protection. And equal protection is a necessity for law. And you could argue very, in terms of constitution that if you see it, that if you see the imposition of it of of a particular law as a um, right as a distortion of the constitution that it violates consent of the governed. Uh, right, and I'm not telling you which way I would make those arguments. I just telling you right that there are ways to right I think you know, I, I find Rav Muhammad's result really powerful. Uh, right and that's the one that you know that's the one that appeals most to me narrowly, just that we should that there's a strong ethical presumption that we have no argument against. Right? We could talk in other contexts about what the possible argument against it would be, but I think the only but the only really the possible argument will explain differences in punishment and not in outcome.
1: Isn't there like an references that, well, we have this law, or the deduction of this law a, a dumb, a dumb because the nations were concerned that, they will, uh, that, there's, that there's too much bloodshed. We want them not to shed blood. So in a certain sense, we have this unequal law um, because we're concerned that it,
0: it, the different, different unequal so, I, so you could conceivably make an argument, right? Those you are trying to say that, that the halakha will yield different results. Because halacha thinks that yield the, yielding different results in the law will yield equal results in the outcome. Maybe, right. e,
1: maybe you get equal protection I have
0: different law. Well, that's really hard. Right? Because equal protection, I, I think, is is direct result of the law. Right? It has to be terachat, So you, you can't have different. I don't think you could do that. But I understand how you could make it. You, you have to construct you end have to have like a really. I mean, it would be. Yeah, you end up, with, you end up making separate but equal arguments, yeah. right? Which don't have, right? which don't have such. Uh...
1: What's well, really, really dicey, honestly. Let's
0: say, for example, I don't. I don't. I don't want to go there. All right? I'm only interested in. I'm only. Inter- I'm not interested. In, I'm not interested in whether the law has to be the same for fetuses and human be- right for fetuses and adults, right? Or right? That's next week, right? All I want to say, right, is I, to, I set out before you, right, that as a reasonable starting premise, that on every level you can say the halacha that whatever your halacha is, whatever your legal, whatever you want to be the law out of, out of Jewish values, right? Whatever you want to be the constitutional interpretation out of Jewish values. Has to be the same for Jews and non-Jews. I think yes. It's it's last comment. Then we got to go to Maro. The word
2: "equal," we think, you know, we, if we hold it up it's lofty, but sometimes, um, if if the, the outcome is that if something is equal, that it's patently unfair.
0: So we could. And that's
2: why. That's why you have to. So you uh, could end up with come it up for, with something that is, is fair. And I, I saw a beautiful example of it. They explained that equal, like equal access. So there's a fence that's yes. high, and there's something. Beautiful right, so you're making outside. the affirmative action argument. Can get off to the fence.
0: Right, you're making the affirmative action right. argument.
2: But if you're six feet tall, you can see over the fence. If you're four feet tall, you can't. So even though there's equal access, it's not really
0: equal. So I I, I understand. Right. So you, you want to, if you want to construct an argument like that that justifies distinctions in abortion abortion law, great. I don't think it can be done. I think right, I don't I don't I don't think it can be done on that ground. So I don't. So I but um. That is how you would do it if you wanted to do it. I think that's right. Okay. Thank you all very much.